It's Sunday Social. Welcome to Sunday Social, and as the Commodores were singing, welcome to the night shift, although not really night out there, is it? Daylight saving. And let's spell it together, saving, no S on the end. You know, if, if, I, ever, if I ever go postal, if, uh, if you ever hear, if you ever hear on the news that Vaughan Davis is being uh, held in connection with a shooting incident, it will be to do with people calling it daylight savings. Daylight savings. They're, they're, they're probably the people who call John Key, John Keys, those people, or Noel Leeming, Noel Leemings. We can talk about this all night, Saskia, but we're not going to. We're not going to. We're going to talk about Sunday Social with you right here through until 8 o'clock, show number 231 in the endless, endless series of social media and digital goodness. I'd love you to be part of the show. Text me 3920, keyword live. It'll pop up on the screen in front of me. I need to say... I've, I've got to apologise a little bit because um, last week I, I said at the end of the Uber segment, um, interesting Uber interview, I said that anyone who wanted their Uber um, passenger rating increased by one point just needed to text in the first 10 people would get an extra point. You know that's not true. You're not that thick. You're not that thick. Did people, people text it in though, Saskia? They actually tested it? No, 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 I can't do that. No one can do that. The only way to get a better Uber passenger rating is to be nice. Be nice, and if that's too hard, don't ride the Uber. Hey, later, uh, Mr. Piyush Chandra, a.k.a. PC, joins us with a bunch of smart things to do with your phone camera, including a new way to measure your room. Stop. No, it's not boring. It's interesting. Don't change that dial. And even a way to use your phone to find out what dog that is. Can you imagine that? What sort of dog is that? I'll use my phone. And finally, what to do if your Facebook password has been hacked. First, though... I want to break free I want to break free I want to break free from your lies You're so self-satisfied I don't need you I've got to break free It's pretty common these days to open your Instagram, Facebook or YouTube feeds and see some well-known gorgeous person telling you how amazing a product, airline, bank or hotel room is, complete with a beautiful picture and a hashtag, hashtag to round out the package. You might or might not know that a lot of those endorsements are arranged and often paid for by brands and that plenty of people, not just All Blacks and Silver Ferns, are making money from it. Georgia McGillivray runs a thing called an influencer agency that connects brands to online celebrities. It's called The Social Club. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. There'll be people listening going, what? That's a job? You can, you can, you can just talk about stuff on social media now and get paid for it? It's true, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. So, so give, me, give me the lowdown, the 101. How does this all work? What's it about? So the concept of influence marketing is, is not a new concept. It's existed for a long time. So it dates right back to 
sort of the royal days. Um, the Palace of Versailles, where there's paintings on the wall with the ladies wearing their pearls. Um, and oh, so people was, went that, out was and that product pearls. placement? Was yeah. that product placement? So that's kind oh. of a really early example of product placement. And then as TV and radio and billboards came around, we started seeing Britney promoting Pepsi, um, ads for H&M with different celebrities. Um, and nowadays with the internet, it's opened up this opportunity for a new wave of what we call social media influencers. So these aren't necessarily people that you would recognise walking down the street. They're not necessarily famous offline, but they're thought leaders within their industry and they've created a following because they offer their um, followers value. Um, and so they have a very valuable asset, which is their following, which mm -hmm. is a really engaged audience. So it's an awesome opportunity for brands to be able to tap into this, this audience um, and promote their product or service. So I, I, I get what it is. If, if I'm, a, I'm an all black and I go, you know, do a selfie holding some Powerade or whatever, you know, sugar drink they're drinking these days and go, mmm, Powerade sugar drink, I get that. But sort of take me a little bit down the influencer tree. You talked about uh, sort of specific audiences. What sort of people are doing this and what sort of things are they doing? From an influencer perspective, it's very, very broad. So there's lots of niche audiences. Some of the top categories are probably um, parenting influencers, so mummy and daddy bloggers. Yes. Um, we've, had, we've had a daddy blogger on the show before. Oh, nice. Yeah, awesome. Um, so you've obviously got fashion and beauty and lifestyle, but then you'll also have really niche audiences or niche influencers who might be um, specialists in baking vegan cakes or Ooh. in a specific type of game. Or, um, or even those, even, even worse than that, those ones that aren't in fact baked. Oh, God. Yeah, Save me. Cakes. Save me from the raw cakes. Hashtag raw cake. <laughs> yes, exactly. So... These influencers have a very niche following of people that want to learn how to make raw cakes or like to purchase raw cakes. Mm -hmm. um, we need to. We need another example because I'm not going to sit here for another 20 minutes talking <laughs> about raw cakes. Let's talk about chocolate bars. Okay, so you've got an influencer who is big on chocolate, mm -hmm. and they've got an audience who trust this person for chocolate. Uh, you know, they become Vaughn becomes known for chocolate. I become you know just for, as a passion. As a passion, I become a chocolate reviewer. I go down the supermarket, buy a chocolate bar, go home, do an, an unboxing and unwrapping. I, I rate it out of five and I get a bit of a, a YouTube following for my chocolate reviews. It's not, prob this probably exists. Probably Th does. These people are probably out there. Um, but I'm just doing it for fun. What, ha what, what needs to happen for my big engaged tribe of chocolate fans to catapult me to, um, to, to riches? So I guess first of all, it's, it's building that trust with your audience. I've already done that. So yep. you've already done that. You've they built love, your they following. love my chocolate reviews. Awesome. Yep. So then the next step is connecting with the brands. So finding the brand that you believe in, um, the brand that, that matches your brand values, but also um, the brand whose target audience matches your followers. Yep. Um, and so once you've found that, then it's basically a process of working out what the collaboration looks like. Okay, um, so, so Whitaker's uh, rings up. I'm going to guess, I'm, I'm, I'm going to um, put it in the context of the Social Club, which is your business. Mm -hmm. Whitaker's rings you up mm -hmm. and they say to you, Georgia, we want to launch the new uh, peanut butter chocolate bar. And you go, you know what? Vaughan reviews chocolate. We're gonna, we, we should actually make this happen in real life. <laughs> I know Whitaker <laughs> lis listens to this show. So, so you, you know someone who's got a good chocolate following. What happens next? So the next stage is basically briefing the influencer. So we would come to you with a brief that says, hey, Whitaker's is uh, launching their new peanut butter chocolate. Um, here's the creative concept. So it might be, you know, we're 
capturing um, funny moments of you eating your chocolate or um, something along I can think of lots because yeah. peanut butter chocolate looks like poo. So there's humour there, right? Yeah. There's humour. <laughs> Good point, yes. And there, could be, and there could be parenting blog crossovers. I could smear the peanut butter chocolate into a nappy. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm just, an, like I'm, I'm, an, I'm an ideas machine. Okay, so we, we decide we're going to, we're going to capture funny moments with Whitaker's peanut butter chocolate. So far, so mm -hmm. good. But I'm going. Where's the money? Where's the money? So this is when the negotiation comes in. So um, basically, you'll get briefed on a certain amount of deliverables. So let's say over three months, you're delivering twelve Instagram posts, sixteen Instagram stories, and two Facebook videos. Okay, so so it's as as um, precise as that. Um, it varies a lot, but quite yep. often it is very precise and yep. people will charge per post and they'll have different rates for different platforms and different deliverables. So basically you would come back and say, hey, my, my, um, my, my cost for this will be X number of dollars. Yep. Um, and then if the brand signs off on that, contracts are put in place and we press play. So let, let's, um, X number of dollars doesn't excite me very much, but uh, <laughs> let's, let's say I'm, I am a chocolate reviewer and mm -hmm. let's say I'm New Zealand's best chocolate reviewer. I've got 50,000 people, which is probably good for a chocolate reviewer, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, watching my chocolate videos. How much money can I expect to make from a, a, a chocolate brand? For, for the, a campaign, this, you know, is it hundreds of dollars? Is it thousands? Is it tens of thousands? How much? So depending on the deliverables again, there's a lot of different elements that come into it. So it's your reach, it's your yep. engagement, it's how strong your content is. Yep, it's um, awesome. A whole lot of different things, but basically you'd probably be making with an audience of that size anywhere between sort of $500 and $5,000. All up or per post? Could be, could be per post. Wow, that's pretty good. And, and are people... Setting aside All Blacks and I don't know who who are the who are the A lists in this country? Um, you know, TV three newsreaders, mm -hmm. uh, All Blacks, um, Dancing with the Stars winners. There's a bit of a crossover there, um, but but you're, you're sort of ordinary people with with the niche. Who are who are these people? And and how many of them are there? At least supplementing their income with paid social media influence. So to give you um, a bit of background, The Social Club has about 5,000 influencers um, registered to our platform. Um, we don't think that's fully captured the New Zealand market either. Um, so probably about 10% of them you would recognise and we would call them celebrity status within New Zealand. The rest of them could be the girl from down the street, someone you went to school with. They could be anybody who has nailed their niche. And for the brands, why, why are they choosing to go this way? So let's say I'm Whitaker's Chocolate. I could get Nigella Lawson, and in fact they have, and make a fancy TV ad, you know, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on making it, millions on putting it on air. Why would they go for uh, a paid social media campaign, an influencer campaign, rather than just standard TV advertising? The reason our clients tell us that they love running influencer campaigns is because of the strong ROI. So the affordability of the cost, they can start Rem with a campaign. When we talked about acronyms? <laughs> Sorry, return on investment. So they can start, launch a campaign for just a couple of thousand dollars. Right. So it's a lot different than an investment into a TVC. Um, and then it's also, we've, we're able to measure 
the exact results of the campaign. So we can see how many people viewed, how many people clicked, and sometimes how many people purchased. So it's a lot more trackable, it's a lot more measurable. So we've talked about the brand, we've talked about the influencer. What we haven't talked about is the public and their perception of it and the authenticity that this creates or destroys. And I want to talk about that after the break. I'm with Georgia McGillibray from The Social Club and you're listening to Radio Live's Sunday Social. Back soon. It's Sunday Social, an hour dedicated to social media with Vaughan Davis. Hey, welcome back to Sunday Social. And yes, Ma uh, Mal, or is it Mai, on the uh, the texts saying, uh, with you all the way on the added S's on uh, Daylight Saving. Uh, although he was very clever. He said, with yous all the way regarding the added S's. I thought it was very funny. Hey, we're talking social media influencer marketing with Georgia McGillivray from The Social Club. Uh, and I guess the, the, the story we're telling here is that when you see someone endorsing something, especially if they're a little bit famous, and they go, mmm, wheat bix those are some mighty tasty wheat bix I, I enjoyed those wheat bix and I'm going to have some more wheat bix later on. It's not always from the heart. Sometimes it's from the wallet. Um, Georgia, authenticity. You're playing with authenticity here. Yes, so awesome. authenticity is our key driver at the social club and we're very much focused on making sure that every collaboration that we line up is authentic. Um, it is difficult. Sometimes there are people that are in, the, uh, uh, in it for the money. Um, and might not be as focused on um, making sure that it's the right alignment. There's, there's a famous... Um, you, are you a Simpsons fan? Yes. There's a, there's a very famous clip uh, of Krusty the, Crown, uh, Krusty the Clown who endorses anything, right? That's one of the running gags there. And there's this, there's this um, piece of old black and white footage, you know, to make the point he's been doing it for decades, that just says, I heartily endorse this product or service. And they, <laughs> they just run it at the end of every ad. And, that, and that's what you're trying to avoid, right? Yeah, exactly. So how how do you separate the wheat from the chaff? How do you how do you ensure that uh, you know when Vaughan is saying mm, good wheat bix, uh, he really means it? So we have quite a few measurements in place that we sort of will review before we put together any collaboration. Um, it includes things like making sure they've never worked with any competitors before, making sure they actually match to the brand's values. Um, and, yeah, we basically do a deep dive into their feed to see who they are and what they're about before we put them forward for any campaign. So as a, a, a member of the public, and I haven't been one of those for many, many years, but if I were, how, how would I know, what, what are the pointers to me that um, when something comes up on my Instagram, Facebook, YouTube feed, whatever, that it's actually been paid for? How can I tell? And does it matter? Yes, it does matter. And the Advertising Standards Authority actually released a new guide um, earlier this year, which we worked with them on. Mm -hmm. um, and it basically says that if there's payment involved and the message is controlled, then the advertisement is required to be disclosed. That's quite a high bar. So if yep. there's payment involved and the message is controlled. So let's just work through a couple of scenarios there. If, if you told me that for $100, you must say that the Whitaker's peanut butter chocolate is, quote, delicious and good for you. That mm -hmm. ticks both those boxes, therefore it must be disclosed. Yes. If you just paid me and said, just say not, you know, say what you think, that doesn't qualify. Uh, and if you give me a whole lot of chocolate and tell me what to say, that doesn't qualify. Am, yep. I, re am I reading that right? Yeah, you're correct. So that's loose as a goose. Yeah, so, I mean, there are some loopholes, um, but that's kind of where the guides are sitting right now. So... Essentially, if you see the hashtag ad or hashtag collab, then you should know that there's been payment involved. I mean, consumers are really savvy these days, so they know when there is a collaboration going on behind the scenes. And what we've found 
is that if the collaboration is authentic, there's no change to the results of the campaign if there's a disclosure. So we always recommend our influencers disclosing, no matter whether or not it fits within the ASA guidelines. Well, I've, I've got to say, the, the few times I get to get given free things, and I disclose it up the yin-yang, because I'm, I'm, I'm just chuffed to be given free things. I think I, I, I put, you know, hashtag ad or freebie, just got, I'm showing off. I'm yeah. saying, look at me, look at me. It's I, awesome. I, I'm so influential, people people sent me a chocolate bar. Well, I've got to say, no, I don't think anyone's ever sent me a chocolate bar. Perhaps at the end of this show, a chocolate bar might arrive. Tell See me, what we can do. Tell me about what can go wrong. Well, just like any form of advertising, there's, there's definitely things that can go wrong. And, and the interesting thing about working with influencers is you're not booking a placement, you're booking a person, which mm. comes with less consistency. So there's things that can go wrong. We, we quite often work with auto brands and that requires a whole lot of um, sort of restrictions and regulations. Oh, car brands, right. Yeah, yeah. car brands, yeah. <laughs> so um, there are things that can go wrong there, obviously. They are, they are um, driving around a branded car, so it's really important to make sure that they're respecting all of their brand values but also the law and the rules. Um, we work with alcohol brands too, so making sure that the person that's promoting the alcohol doesn't have any reason that they shouldn't be, um, e.g. being pregnant. Um, and so, yeah, there are a lot of things going wrong and that uh, it means that the contracts are so important. So making sure that you have a really tight contract with your influencer um, and, and there's all of the exclusions and inclusions included in there. Well, what, what about when, when posts are just so patently fake, the internet goes nuts and says this is just awful? And we were looking at something in the break just before, um, a young woman, Scarlett London, from London, I, I'm doubting it already. She, even her <laughs> name isn't authentic. Um, did this, you know, ridiculous picture? And if you if you want some uh, some visually entertainment, uh, Google uh, pancake tortilla Instagram because she's curated this photograph of herself taken by I don't know who um, because it's you know from several meters away, beyond selfie stick range, <laughs> um, of her on a bed with this plate of pancakes, which uh, someone pointed out are actually dry tortillas with a strawberry on top, an empty teacup, which she's drinking from, uh, and a bottle of Listerine next to the bed. Who has a bottle of Listerine next to the bed? It's, it, it was just ridiculous. I mean, how, how would you advise your influencers to stay away from, you know, horrible setups like that? Uh to be honest, we probably wouldn't work with influencers like that. So when an influencer comes to us, we get about 100 sign-ups a week. Um, wow. Everyone wants a, a <laughs> slice of that social media influencer action. <laughs> exactly. And so our approval rate is um, close to 60%. So we'll vet them for a whole lot of those things. But we also make sure that they are authentic and that their content is original and it's strong. Um, but from a brand perspective, again, would recommend just vetting their feeds a lot and having a look at how other collaborations have gone and whether mm -hmm. or not they've been successful. Um, but then also always requiring the content to come through for approval. So you need to see exactly what they're posting before it goes live. Right, because because people on the internet can be a little bit unforgiving if, uh, you know, mm -hmm. if, if something's a little less than authentic. Yes. I think. And, and, and I think the if you've already Googled this at home, you, you'd, you'd have seen the image. But the, uh, the icing on the cake for me is this woman was... Uh, kneeling on a bed, and and on the duvet was printed a picture of her. Yeah, come so on. So good. I, I need I need to get I need to get one of those duvet. Uh, well, not a picture. Of, that would be weird. Uh, a duvet with a picture <laughs> of me. No, that would be weird too. Uh, you know what? Duvets with pictures of people on, uh, unless they're Jeff Goldblum, are just weird. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum duvet, all right. Is it okay? Uh, agree I think, to disagree. Oh well, that's interesting. I think a lot of people out there would go for the Jeff Goldblum hashtag Jeff. Goldblum picture duvet. So if I'm a um, if I'm 
looking to to become one of these influencers and grow my my audience and and sort of convert my passion into into sweet sweet dollars what are the channels that uh, are really working for you in this influencer marketing thing i mentioned um facebook instagram youtube i didn't even mention twitter because it's my thing and i think i don't think much actually happens on twitter that's of any use not in new zealand no um twitter is still massive in the states but in new zealand the the top platforms that we're working with are instagram facebook mm-hmm. um linkedin um youtube and snapchat linkedin yeah linkedin so that 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 quickly takes you away from the, the tortillas and cups of tea and Listerine into, into slightly more serious products, right? Yeah, so LinkedIn's really good for B2B, <coughs> which um, most um, most influencer campaigns are B2B. B2C, so business to consumer. Yeah. Um, but there are lots of sort of business to business to business um, brands that are looking to engage in influencer marketing too, and LinkedIn can be a really good place to do that. So let's say uh, I'm a uh, I'm a small business and I make um, soap. Mm-hmm. Here I am on the west coast. I own some soap. Uh, I make some soap. It's very, very good soap. I can't afford a, a TV campaign, and I'd quite like to use influencer marketing. So, from a client side uh, point of view, you know, the small business person making soap wants to get famous or wants to get uh, rich. How do I go about making this happen? You can come to the social club. Okay. Um, so, if you come to the social club, basically, we'll pull together a proposal for you that says. Um, based on look, what you're looking to achieve, um, where your brand is, what your budget is, this is what we, we can achieve for you. Um, if you want to give it, do, your, do it yourself, the first step is creating a strategy. So mm-hmm. working out what are your KPIs for this campaign, who am I looking to reach, mm-hmm. and um, how am I going to do it? What's my creative strategy? Um, so it's less about who am I working with, who's cool at the moment, and more about why am I doing this, which influencer matches my brand values, and which influencer matches my which influences audience matches my target audience. And and if, if I were to go through an agency like yours, how much <laughs> would my soap company reasonably plan to invest? If, if I, want, I want my soap to be known by, you know, all smelly men in New Zealand, that's my that's my KPI. <laughs> all smelly men in all New Zealand. All smelly men. Um, that's a pretty big market, so you how could rude. be looking at most tens. Men, most men are not smelly at all. <laughs> You'd probably be looking at tens of thousands um, per month to reach um, all men in New Zealand, yep. all smelly men. But you can start with a couple of thousand dollars. So lots of brands come to us with a test budget, which might be three or four thousand dollars, and then they see the results and they grow their budget month on month. Easy as that. Hey, tell me, how, how did you how did you get into this game, Georgia? How, um, how did you end up in, in this? I mean, no one no one uh, at school tells their careers counsellor, you know what, I'd like to start an influencer <laughs> marketing agency. No, how how did you end up doing this? Um, so I, I guess I was just really lucky that um, I worked in the US and then the UK and then in Australia, all just coincidentally during the time when influencer marketing started to take off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went from being sort of a buzzword to a significant portion of every campaign. So by the time I was working at a, in Australia at a um, big ad, ad agency, um, I was seeing them go through the same pain points that we'd been we'd been through two years earlier. So I was able to sort of help guide them through that. And then I sort of saw the opportunity that I was in a unique position, um, had this kind of inside knowledge on how to grow the influencer market. Mm-hmm. And also learnt um, through my co-founders that the New Zealand market was even more raw and immature and that there was an opportunity to come back here and educate everybody about how to run a successful campaign. 
Look at that. Hey, uh, Georgia McGillivray from The Social Club, thesocialclub.co. Uh, thanks for joining us on Sunday Social. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, and after the break, Mr Piyush Chandra is waiting in the wings for the social media news apps and websites you just cannot get through the week without. Back soon. It's Sunday Social. Everything you need to know about social media with Vaughan Davis. Hey, welcome back to Sunday Social, and you can listen back to that whole entire interview with Georgia McGillivray from The Social Club at uh, radiolive.co.nz under shows and Sunday Social. Who would have believed that you can uh, you can just tweet, uh, Facebook post, and YouTube and uh, make a living out of it? PC, Mr. Piyush Chandra, would you believe that? Hey, Vaughan, I would indeed. It was a fascinating interview, actually. I mean... I wish these guys had existed a few years ago when I um, was involved in these sorts of campaigns. My first memory of a social influencer outreach was 2010. Twitter was just becoming incredibly popular. Yes. And we were running a campaign trying to influence mums, and we thought, wouldn't it be great if we could get Demi Moore to do a tweet for us? So we approached her agent, and uh, we got a menu back of how much she charged per tweet. Get out. Okay, you can tell me. How much? How much? You don't work there anymore. So, you can tell me. 185,000 US for one tweet. 100? Well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> that does sound like a lot of money. Although, uh, I wish I had the facts at my fingertips. There was a, there's a, uh, a, an Auckland woman who runs a business, I think, making some sort of um, tummy tamer thing. It's right. essentially a, a stretchy corset um, uh -huh. thing, and she got a Kardashian to yes. do a, That's uh, right. I, an, I know Instagram, who about. an Instagram post about yeah. that, and and again it was in six figures, but yeah. um, the return on investment was through the roof. Absolutely it's worth it. Absolutely amazing, and you know those. Um, in those fact, I remember now. It's called a waist trainer. That's right. A waist trainer. Yeah. That's right. And so, uh, so Kim Kardashian doesn't necessarily need it or like it, but she was paid the money, and she she posted about it, and sales went through the roof. Yeah, and look, you know, food brands here in in New Zealand and exporters around from New Zealand going into international markets, heavily reliant on online influencers to give them a break. In markets. The thing, the thing that interested me from the chat there with Georgia was um, she mentioned business to business. So, you know, dirty old LinkedIn, which is yes. becoming more and more interesting with every every uh, year that passes. Sure is. I'm enjoying your posts. End endorser marketing on LinkedIn. Yes. You know, well, do you remember when those endorsements first came out? It was quite oh, that's, popular. Oh, that's something else. That, that's, <laughs> that's another thing. That's another thing entirely. I, I endorse, well, yeah, there was the... Being the, good at lunch. Yeah, being good at lunch. I endorse PC for being good at lunch. Any Anyway, hey, uh, the matter at hand, there's lots of, uh, lots of news to talk about tonight. Yes. Um, the first one that, that caught my eye uh, also caught the eye of an intelligent computer in China, and that was facial recognition. Now, this is, this is um, a technology that is going nuts. Almost every phone sold today has facial recognition built right in, yeah, right? Yeah, it does. Facebook's got facial recognition <coughs> built right into it. So does Google. Yeah. Um, so, I, you, can, you can buy a Nest um, smart... Uh, uh, doorbell with, yes, a, cam that's with right. a camera in it that yep. you just walk up to it goes oh it, it's pc or his twin brother and and just <laughs> lets him in not don't get one of those if you've got an evil twin that's right don't get another one of those um hey i mean it's it's amazing right like um i think we were talking about it earlier and you said that the uh, marriott international has gone ahead and um 
made it so that you can jump the entire queue if it recognizes you. Yeah, in China. Mm-hmm. So, and it's interesting that it's in China. So a couple of, ho- couple of Marriott hotels in China have um, kind of replaced the check-in staff with uh, just a little booth. You come up, you, you, know, you, you swipe your card, and if it is you, uh, according to the facial recognition, boom, yeah. you've got your room key, you're away. That's right. I mean, we've been predicting this for quite some time now with shows like Star Trek where you could essentially just walk up to things and they would open for you. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's a little... Um, it is at that point where it's now just beyond Big Brother and you start to wonder what's going to happen with this technology going forward. Well, what about at least poor people in China who who don't, you know, they they, they just they, they want to go to the hotel for a dirty weekend, and now suddenly their photograph is is, is recognised and captured, and you know, there's there's no anonymity. There's that scenario. There's also the fact that your entire credit, your your whole social credit history, is now attached to your face, which means that if one entity knows about it, every other entity that's related to it would know about it. And there's absolutely no privacy left at the end of that. That's process. right. That, that is a whole other thing. So while, while the, uh, the the country with the highest concentration of surveillance cameras remains the United Kingdom, uh, China it is, is that right? Famously, yeah. Really, I never. Check I would never have picked it, it. Check it out, but. Yeah. Uh, only because it's smaller than China, so the concentration is... Ah, right. yeah. But uh, China is not far behind. So, yeah, as you say, um, many, many elements of uh, personal, social, cultural behaviour are measured, captured, and contribute to your social credit score, which affects things like, um, can you get an apartment? Can you travel? Can you get your kids into the right school? Because any mistake that you made, even a decade ago, is now remembered and instantly available. Um, you know, this was a big topic in, um, you know, I'm a fan of Blade Runner. Yes. Um, the first version of Blade Runner, the the most important part that Ridley Scott captured was those little yellow bubbles that walked and followed people around. And they, that was an indicator of you had a debt to pay to society. And it would count down how much debt you'd paid every day. And so if you watch key sequences and scenes in the first the n- movie... The numbers, the numbers would count down. Yes. Um, it, it's, it's funny, though, we're talking about China and going, oh, look at China there, yeah. um, you know, a surveillance state. Because, you know, the, the, other, the other place where you can just show your face and swipe your card and get uh, entry is not a hotel. It's New Zealand. So, right. so, so, you know, we, we, we do this at Passport Control all the time. Yeah. We, we stand up at the thing, we, you know, we, we look at the camera and, uh, you know, stand up straight, hope that it's top camera because that means you're tall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and we're perfectly happy for that to happen here. So, you know, maybe, maybe it's, uh, it's not as bad as all that. But when I was researching this, yeah. I, I, saw, I went down one of these internet rabbit holes <laughs> you go down. Yes. Nothing better to do on the first day of daylight saving, so I thought I'd go down an internet rabbit hole. And got to reading about what happens in India. Yes. I had no idea. Do you, did you know about this before we started talking about it? I didn't know about the scale at which it had got to, um, but I am very familiar with the identity card system in India because as a, as a child visiting grandparents there, they at that time had a ration card system. So they still things. do. Yes, they still do. So in certain th- parts of India. Yeah, do, yeah. So yeah. this is a thing called Aadhaar, which I guess is a um, sounds like an acronym. A A D H A A R. It's it's yeah. like that real me thing that we have in New Zealand and everyone hates, except That's it right. is just through the roof. So they've got a universal ID system in India. Yeah. I, I suppose in a lot of countries you use the IRD number as a default. But yeah, in social con- security in, number, IRD number. Yeah, yeah. but in, in in countries where there's a 
a, a big chunk that are sort of off that system and in the cash economy, well, that's not going to work. I mean, there's a there's a huge problem in India in that, you know, births and deaths aren't recorded in anything other than the family logbook. So, you know. I had no idea. <laughs> so they, they, they brought out this Aadhaar thing, which, which is using um, facial recognition uh, to I uniquely identify every single person in India. Uh, and, and for interesting reasons, they've, they've worked out that um, fingerprints are not inclusive enough because people who um, spend an entire lifetime doing manual labour, I had never heard of this, uh, their fingerprints wear out. Yes, they do. <laughs> so they have to have facial recognition if they want a, a SIM card or a, a mortgage or, or so a ration card. It's really, really interesting because um, I've kind of been following this topic for quite some time. So the whole um, unique identifying number concept came about after the uh, attacks in India in 2009 and 2010. Mm. And the security services said, we basically do not know at border control who is actually an Indian citizen and who isn't. So we yep. need to issue them identity numbers. In order to make it palatable, they introduce all these social services. All these benefits. All these benefits and sort of kind of clouded the fact that it was actually a security measure. What it actually did was it triggered for one, the chief justice, and two, the um, resident, he was the highest judge in South India. Mm -hmm. Both came out when they first announced it and said, this is a complete bre uh, breach of privacy and my right to privacy and they went hell for leather to prevent it. It's been through the court systems five times now. And I guess, you know, in comparison to China, where they can essentially just do whatever they want constitutionally, mm -hmm. here they're actually operating under a, a British consti uh, constitutional process. Right, so there's a series of courts and you can, and you can you exactly know, appeal, right. appeal against these decisions. And but it's fascinating to watch how much effort is being put into defending people's rights. But interesting, the, the um, you know, bring it back to technology, the... The, the thing that people are uh, uh, sort of coming up uh, short on is that you cannot get a SIM card, new or replacement, unless you do a face scan, and people are going, no, that's too much. Right, so that's essentially what the Supreme Court um, basically came out and said was that you cannot prevent people if they do not have a unique identifying number. Now, it's a matter of policy for the corporation whether they choose to respect that ruling yep. or not. So no 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 burner phones in if if that policy goes through no burner phones in uh, in India because they'll know who you are. Yeah. Hey, um, Facebook, Facebook, yes. um, <laughs> the, the great the great Facebook password hack of 2018. Well, the greatest one so far yeah. in 2018. Um, on Tuesday, uh, Facebook announced that uh, they had discovered that 50 million accounts had been uh, illicitly. Uh, accessed and uh, that their usernames and passwords had been uh, made vulnerable. So this has been fascinating and I'm surprised it's taken this long for this event to occur. I mean, ever since we've been using, um, you know, Facebook and Google to act as, an, as a service that allows us to log into other services, there was almost an inevitability to um, to something like that. Because they're happening. distributing their secret bits. That's right. And that's a technical term. That's right. They are they're they're kind of um, encrypting them in a in a different way. But what's interesting about this particular hack was that it was actually an own goal from Facebook themselves. They made it so that you could inspect your own profile. Yeah, <laughs> in, in, in a way that anyone else could, and that was the that was the back door to this. So long long story short, 50 million uh, accounts were compromised. Uh, a bunch of people in New Zealand woke up, uh, I think, on Saturday 
uh, to a request from Facebook or from other sites like Instagram and other things where you use your Facebook yeah. login to re-log in. If that happened, you were one of the people. Um, Claire Curran actually was one of the people. Yes. And in, in an maybe maybe she. Well. I, I could make some sort of Gmail joke, but I'm not going to. That would be uncharitable. <laughs> uh, but anyway, there they're, they're are three pieces of advice, and they're yep. really, really, really good. So if this happened to you, here's what to do. Number one, do a device audit. And that sounds really boring, but there's a, uh, a menu on Facebook uh, under security that says where you're logged in, and it will list the devices that are currently logged into your Facebook account. And, you know, if you're like me and you have a bunch of old phones and tablets and there's a computer in the corner, you go, yep. ooh, okay. Yeah. Shut that one down or the kid's going to be posting, so that's number one. Change your password? Mm. Nah, no one's going to change the password. Forget about that one. Um, turn on two-factor authentication. Big so, fan of this one. You know, last time I was here, I was talking about the Google two-factor authentication. Tell us what it is. Basically, what it is is you attempt to do a login and it sends a message to another device connected to you to get confirmation that you can log in. Yep. And having that physical security just gives me peace of mind. Yep. So I my, recommend everyone do it. My, my BNZ app has started doing that. Uh, previously, when you when you were trying to do particularly um, uh, sort of munty things on your on your BNZ banking, yep. it would ask you to take out your little passcode and go this column, that row, and what's the answer. Yeah, the net Now it just goes, it goes to your, um, your phone, oh, and yeah. if that's you, you go, yes, that was me, done. Two-factor yeah. authentication. You know, the thing that in the back of my mind is Facebook. Facebook is large well-resourced, run by, by and large, some of the smartest yeah. people in this stuff in the world. They just had 50 million usernames and passwords oh. compromised. Meanwhile, in New Zealand, we think the government is going to run some local elections online this year. Oh. Forget about it. Hey, after the break, the apps you just cannot get through the week without. Back soon. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. Back to Sunday Social. That's 11 minutes to 8, leading into the weekend variety wireless. I'm Vaughan Davis, and uh, in the studio with me, Mr. Piyush Chandra. Welcome back. Thanks, Vaughan. I've been playing with my phone's camera today. And it's an incredibly impressive little feature you showed me there, Vaughan. It is absolutely incredibly impressive. Um, I'm going to talk about two things that you didn't know your phone's camera could do. Uh, one of them is I think on uh, both iPhone and Android. The other one's just Android, as far as I can tell. Right. The first thing I want to talk about is um, Amazon visual shopping. Have yeah. you ever tried it? I did once, a few months back when I was in the States. I, I think I relayed the story to you. I was in a, in a sports store. There was a huge queue to, to get to pay for things. I was there with my brother-in-law who loves Amazon, is an Amazon Prime customer from day one. Mm -hmm. And as we were standing in the queue, he said, life's too short. Uh, pulled out his phone, snapped the thing that I was holding in my hand, waiting in the queue for the last 15 minutes to buy saw that the price on Amazon was cheaper than what I was going to pay at this store with my loyalty discount. Hit buy now. Hit buy now yep. and said it'll be there by the time we get home. Yep. <laughs> and and it, well, 
all, all of that apart from the be there by the time you get home works in New Zealand right now. So we go to our camera app. In the top left corner of our camera app is a little eye icon. Yeah. Click on the eye, and it may vary. You may have to fossick around depending on what platform you're on. Fossick yeah. around. Uh, and it will allow you to point your camera at anything, and if it's for sale on Amazon, it'll get it for you. So I was I was um, having a little afternoon snooze this afternoon, lying on my bed, pointed up at the ceiling fan. Blink. Took a photo of the ceiling fan, right. and it found me some ceiling fans. That's amazing. On Amazon, it? told me how much they were, and uh, and and wham bam, uh, I, I could buy them right there on the spot. So I mean, you know, if you're a retailer today, uh, and you've invested all of this money in running showrooms and all these sorts of things, and along comes this little utility that's on everyone's phone, tap tap. You know the best price. You get the product reviews. You get what's wrong with it. Yeah, you you don't you don't need to type in ceiling fan. Uh, so that's that's um, Amazon visual shopping. But then the uh, oh, in fact, I, I'll, I'll stick with this for a minute. I, I walked around the house trying it. All right. I walked yep. around the house trying it on things, and so I had an art print on the wall. And took you know used Amazon Visual Shopping. Sure enough, it found you know you could still buy that, and wow. this is the price. That's fine. Uh, I pointed it at a guitar, and it found a very 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 similar guitar for sale on Amazon. Um, the the one that that really amazed me is I I have a, a wristwatch that I, right. I bought for you know flying the plane. Yeah, and I took a photo of it, and it found the exact precise down to the really? model number model of wristwatch for sale on Amazon and gave me a price. Absolutely incredible. But yeah. the other the other camera superpower, this is this is all about camera superpowers I want to talk about is Google Lens. And we're seeing the, the core platform Google Lens used more and more. There was the um, uh, what was the name of the Spark uh, Tadeo app oh. that came out. Uh, it's gonna come to me. But anyway the, the the idea that you look at something through your camera Artificial intelligence at the back end works out what it is. So Google Lens is the technology behind this. And I was having a play with this today through Google Assistant, which is built into Android phones. Yeah. And seeing how smart it was, because uh, a while ago it wasn't that smart. You could point it at a flower, it could say it was a flower. Yes. I thought I'd give it a go. I pointed it at my dog. <laughs> and within two seconds it told me it was a border terrier. Yeah. Now here's, here's, here's the news. It, Spike is a border terrier. It's amazing, isn't it? It is absolutely amazing, yeah. PC, because dog breeds are so nebulous. They I mean, are. you and I could look at a dog and go, mm, if you knew about dogs, and yeah. go, that's probably a border terrier. Yeah. But for it knew it a snapshot from a weird angle yes. of this dog, yes. so it didn't have, all it had was his face, basically. Yeah. I think that I think we live in a so wonderful, an, wonderful age. It is. It's amazing. And here's another really interesting thing with the Google Lens. So when you have a Pixel phone, which is two front-facing cameras, yes, um, it's actually got the ability to do uh, distance calculations. Three so D, three D mapping, three D mapping. Yep. And so I was looking at the new Pixel that's coming out in October. So this is an Android phone actually made by Google. Yes. Yep. And I have you not know, not sold here. No, not sold here. You have to buy it duty-free through Australia. Yeah, you or... buy, buy them in the airport when you're in yeah, Australia. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've been looking at version 2 now. Yes. And apparently with Google Lens in version 2 of the Pixel phone, you can point it at a corner of your, of your house and it will start making suggestions about things that fit into that space as a as a bit of a uh, an interior decoration like a life partner oh no 
yeah, a couch. It's getting that way, isn't it? Yeah. It'll recommend things like what kind of return you should have in there, what kind of shelves you can fit in there, where they can be sourced from. Get um, out. That's really yeah. cool. That's really cool. Um, you've actually got an app which 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 is sort of connected to that. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're clearly doing very well in, uh, in, in the business of being PC because <laughs> you're looking to uh, renovate the house. And back in the day, that would have involved uh, a lot of graph paper, yes. uh, scissors and, uh, and sellotape, so but I'll, not anymore. No, not anymore. So I'll clarify. We're only remodelling the bathrooms because it's been... That's a, the second most expensive room in the house, PC. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't downplay it. Don't talk about it like that, Vaughn. It's already hurting me. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and we got an architect in to help us kind of just do the drawings and make sure we can go through council consent. Um, anyway... It was proving to be very hard to visualise what was going on, so I thought there must be an app for this by now. So it's when, 2018. It's, it's 2018. Surely it's got to be an there, right? For this. And so I downloaded this this app called Floor Floor Plan Creator, and yep. I did not realise how simple and easy it would make this entire exercise. I had the dimensions of the room. I plugged the dimensions in, just like you would in Excel. It generated a version of the room. It has a little 3D fly button. I press 3D fly. Wham, I'm inside the middle of the room and I can have a look around. And you can go, oh, this doesn't seem quite how I wanted it. It needs to be bigger, it needs to be smaller, it needs to be skinnier. Exactly. So, you know, where does the vanity go? Where does the shower go? Where does the bathtub go? All of that stuff. Are the dimensions correct? Can we? Does, does, it, give, does it give you standard uh, baths, toilets, vanities and things that you can drop in for size? Yes, it does. And then you can specify um, length, width, height variations based on what the specification sheets from the different uh, product vendors was telling you and it was amazing it took me 10 minutes to stand up a basic model of what we were going to do to be able to have it render in 3d on my phone and then to just turn my phone sideways and start rotating it around to have a look inside that is very very cool so it's called floor plan creator uh, I, I i had to play with it this afternoon and uh yeah the e there are lots of apps over the years that have promised to do this yeah uh, but this one seems to have nailed it. It's it's yeah. easy, it's intuitive. So if you're doing some renovations and you want to get a, a, a feel of, you know, the shape of the room and, you know, what what will this deck feel like, floor plan creator is the way to go. It, um, it, there's a free version, but does it get uh, expensive after that? It can be a little expensive, but, you know, the free version outputs basically what you need if you're working with a draft person, right? So mm -hmm. free version gives you the ability to put an image out and email it so you can go, hey, I've just done a plan could you have a look at it and just let me know what works in the space or not? You know, it's, it's proved to be very handy with, with our draft person. Now, we, we were talking last week, there's a very specific um, sort of equivalent of the, uh, the fitting the furniture in your corner of your room thing you were talking about. IKEA has brought out, uh, we talked about this last week, so it's a bit of a revision for some people, right. uh, a thing called IKEA Place. So it is just for IKEA. So yes. you look at your room through your phone camera. Yeah. You can see the room. You can place the uh, place the the couches and things in the room, which is kind of cool. It's really and really then click, good. And of course, click, and then you buy it. And interestingly, uh, Shopify. Last week, I was having a catch up with the guys there. Showed me an app that's part of Shopify, which allows you to do exactly the same thing with any Shopify store. Augmented reality is the way of the future. Hey, I think there is no better way to end the show than a quick round of Ikea or death, <laughs> which of course is a game where you can uh, you can choose, you can try and guess whether the name in front of you is the name of a piece of Ikea furniture or a death metal band. Ikeaordeath.com is my website of the week. Uh, PC, we'll start with you. Absu, Absu, is that a piece of IKEA furniture or a death metal band? Death metal band. Death metal band. 
Yes, it is. An extreme metal band from Texas that plays mythological occult metal, whatever that is. Okay, craft, craft. Is that IKEA Furniture or a death metal band? IKEA Furniture. IKEA Furniture? Be. No, it is a Swedish black... Craft is a Swedish black metal band whose lyrics focus on misanthropy. Oh, uh, moving right on. Uh, Vitsjo, Vitsjo. It's got to be a death There's metal There's two band. dots above the O. Uh, IKEA Furniture or death metal? You say death metal? No, it's a, it's a shelving unit. You're not doing well. You're not doing well. It's Ikea. So Ikeaordeath.com. Hey, uh, PC, thank you so much for joining me tonight on the show. Thanks for having me, Vaughan. And Georgia from The Social Club. That was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Saskia. In the booth next up, Graham Hill and the Weekend Variety Wireless. I'm Vaughan Davis. I hope it's light out there still because I'm out of here. Nighty night.